Thanks for joining us this morning. Before we introduce our guest today, we have an announcement to make, and Jim Sawyer's on the phone. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning. Good morning. Tell us what's going on and what you're asking our listeners to do. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I am... Um, I have an effort in place here in Tucson to try to convince the state of Arizona to name a new overpass being constructed at Ruth Ross and I-10 in honor of a fallen state trooper that was killed in the line of duty there in 1998. And I'm going through and respecting that the state has a formal process to go through, which, which we're doing. But I'm trying to get the public just aware of the effort and you know maybe help support us by signing the petition and and sharing um the effort with their friends and family and we have that petition on our website lawmatters1030.org if you go to events you'll see the petition there there's a link to the story and there's a a picture of of officer cruz i remember when that happened it was one of the most horrific things I, yes, I just couldn't, I, my heart just went out to the family. It was just so horrible. And I think a way to honor him for his service is to do exactly that. Sign the petition. Let's make this bridge, get this bridge named after him. Completely agree. And, you know, I, I tell folks this was a, a state employee working their state job on a state highway. And um, this is a state structure being built and it's a you know sort of an ideal opportunity right now tell people what happened i'm not sure everybody remembers what happened i i remember because i yeah. have nightmares about it you're right yeah so uh in the middle of the night in a, a december night in 1998 officer cruz was investigating an accident on i-10 and they had his car blocking the freeway um and as I understand it, you're sort of forcing traffic to get off at that exit there, right where this overpass is being built. And a drunk driver uh, rear-ended his car while he was in it. And, um, you know, he died as a result of that that impact. And it sort of it crushed the car and uh, it burst sort of into locked flames. the doors so that the doors couldn't be opened and such. It yeah, was- and it burst into flames, right? And so, so for years, there was a scar, a physical, you know, remembrance of that accident because the pavement was charred and scraped. And his family would, you know, drive past. Yeah, his, it, it was anywhere. just a constant reminder. Right. And so we're hoping that if we can name this overpass in his name, that, you know, rather than drive by and remember a tragedy, they'll see that the citizens of Arizona and everybody that, you know, is going from east to west coast and vice versa on I-10 is honoring their dad. Um, I think that will, it, it would be nice for the family as well. Absolutely. And, you know, our prayers still go out to that family and, and we thank them for his service, for his dedication. He was just an incredible man. So everybody, please go to lawmatters1030.org on the event page and sign the petition. It's just the right thing to do. And Jim, I appreciate you calling in this morning and letting us know. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, talk to you later. Okay, on the phone, this is going to be like Groundhog's Day, a little deja vu here. On the phone, we have former Congressman Jim Colby. In the studio, we have Constitution Professor Paul from University High School. And, of course, we have Maya, our intern. And we're going to talk a little bit about what happened this week in Washington. Every day has been exciting. Um, Congressman Colby, can you hear me? I certainly can, Sherry. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. <laughs> okay. But I'm sure the weather is better out there than it is back here. Oh, let me, let me tell you how wonderful it is here. <laughs> <laughs> let me rub it in. Oh, you're right. Okay. There's a couple of things I'd I'd like to start the show with because I heard it during the the um, 
trial this week. Impeachment trial, yeah. Exactly. They were saying that using the uh, impeachment process after somebody is out of office is illegal. What is your thought on that? Well, it's not illegal for sure. It's a question. There is certainly a judgmental question as to whether or not you can impeach somebody who's already left office. But uh, most of the constitutional lawyers that I've read seem to agree that it is it is a reasonable thing to do. And here's why. Because the impeachment clause of the Constitution calls for a punishment of removing the person from office. Well, he's already out of office but also from barring that person from serving in office again. Well, if he's out of office, if you've impeached him and he's out of office, you're barring a former office holder from serving again. So it is not illogic, illogical to assume that Congress, that the Senate could today vote to impeach, to convict the president and bar him from future office, even though he's already left that office. There is a precedent for this back in 1876, when the Secretary of War uh, was impeached and the trial was held in the Senate. And he resigned before the trial was or was just beginning, I guess the trial was beginning. He resigned. But they went ahead and said, no, we still can go ahead and impeach him. In the end, they d- acquitted him. But they gave, made the decision that they did have the right to impeach him. So it's clear it's, it's really up to Congress makes that rule. Uh, of whether or not they can impeach him. And there is a, a, a provision in the Constitution uh, regarding impeachment that makes it fairly clear, it seems to me, that they can go ahead with this. So I think it's probably appropriate. Whether or not he should be impeached on is another question. Okay. Paul, what do you say to this when you when you hear that, you know, Congress has a lot of power, I mean, they can use it or not use it, apparently, and they can decide what type of censure, what type, you know, is he convicted of a crime? Is he convicted? Of, can he hold office again? What? Uh, the Congressman Colby just said is that uh, uh, there are two types of punishments in the impeachment. Uh, once the House votes to impeach in the trials and the Senate is one to remove a sitting officer from their position, a federal office, uh, and the other one is to disqualify them from holding federal office again. And so the implication then is that uh, the impeachment after the person leaves office is constitutional. Uh, the issue of censure generally is uh, for uh, Congress to try to keep track of its own members. Uh, that uh, that uh, if uh, Congress wanted to try to remove one of its own members or discipline one of its own members, censure is one of the opportunities there. Congress can also vote to censure a president, which is a slap on the wrist short of impeachment. Congress did that with Andrew Jackson uh, in the 1830s, uh, short of impeachment over uh, issues dealing dealing with him removing funds from the Bank of the United States. So, censure, it's a slap on the wrist, it's a nasty gram in the mail, it's Uh, nothing more than that? Uh... It's more than that because Congress is telling the American public that they believe the president is behaving inappropriately, but uh, it it doesn't go as far as to create a a formal trial and a threat of removal or uh, prohibition from serving in office like uh, the impeachment does. Uh, that's a correct statement, and it's 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 certainly more than just a slap on the wrist because it's the most severe punishment you can inflict on a, another member of Congress or somebody without actually removing them from the office. So if he gets impeached, and it doesn't sound like he's going to be... Here's a question. What if they did this um, voting anonymously instead of live voting where everybody knows who and what you voted for, do you think he would be impeached? Yes, he, he is. Let's just, just so we understand the terms. He has been impeached by the House of Representatives. The trial is in the Senate, and the question is whether he's convicted. He would be convicted on a, on a, a vote that was a secret ballot, yes. I don't think there's any doubt about that. If, they, if uh, members of Congress or members of the Senate could actually cast the vote, their votes anonymously or secretly, I sh- anonymously isn't the right word, but secretly, they right. would. But that's not the way we do it. It, it is, has, does have to be in the open. They have to make their position known. Okay. 
So he probably will get away with it. I think I just I understand just from listening to the news this morning that uh, the minority leader, Senator McConnell, has announced that he's going to vote to acquit. And that probably gives some cover to some of the Republicans that were in doubt. But it never seemed likely they were going to get to 17. It requires two thirds. And that means 17 Republicans would have to vote to convict him. And uh, there's probably no more than five or six of those that are going to do so. Okay, well, that's kind of depressing. But, you know, Trump said he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. He wouldn't lose one voter. So apparently he was right. But, Sherry, I think that uh, that this the record that has been made in this impeachment trial, this trial in the Senate, uh, has, I think, laid out very clearly the events and the role that the president played in that. And so even though... He's not convicted post-serving as president, even though he's not convicted. I think the, his reputation, I think, is certainly tarnished by this because it's fairly clear that he played a major role in all of this. Yeah, and I, do you think they're going to call witnesses? No, they're not no. going to call witnesses. They're okay. going to, I, I don't even think the House is going to ask to call witnesses. And certainly the, the Trump's defense team is not going to ask for any witnesses. They know the votes are there. And so I don't think they're going to call for any witnesses. Okay. So if he's acquitted of those, you know, crimes, and it just boggles my mind because people died. Um, is there any other way that any other federal agency can come after him for what happened? Well, Yes, and I certainly don't. I want to let your other guests get into the, this discussion, but yes, there certainly is. First of all, he can be investigated for criminal actions that might have taken place. He can still be investigated and charged with those, and he's got a number of civil cases pending against, and perhaps criminal cases pending from the state of New York and others regarding his taxes. Uh, so that now that he's out of office. Presumably those tax returns will be subject, will be turned over to the uh, uh, investigators, the attorney general who is doing the investigation in, in New York, and that they would be able to do complete that investigation. So he certainly is subject to that. There's also a question, I think it's not quite clear, whether or not by a vote of, of majority vote, they could bar him from serving in office after afterwards, even without even though he has not been convicted. And I think he probably, that probably could take place. And I know he's being investigated in Georgia for that. Yes. <laughs> World-renowned phone call. And, and, and Georgia and New York both, yes. So some things may be coming down the pike, but it doesn't he's, look... Doesn't he's going to have his hands full with a lot of legal questions here in the weeks and months ahead. So if he's acquitted, that means he still gets his retirement pay from being president, which is, what, a quarter million? He gets a million dollars a year allowance for travel? Yes, I, he does. He gets all those expenses, and he gets the uh, the pension that goes to presidents because he's not been convicted of anything. That's correct. And I was reading an article. Obviously, I don't know if it's true or not because I'm questioning everything nowadays. He spent... Over um, $250 million of taxpayers' money just golfing, just golfing. And only two of those trips were outside of a, um, a golf course that he didn't own. I, 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 the latter statistic I have heard, I think I haven't heard exactly whether it's $250 million, but you pile on all the expenses of the aircraft and the uh, Secret Service, the extra Secret Service is required. And all of that, and I, it obviously adds up into the millions. But yeah. the protection, of the, in fairness, the protection of the president requires a lot of. Uh, uh, it, it requires a lot of effort, and no matter what the president, who the president is, and where he's going, uh, it requires. Uh, it takes a lot of security people to do that. But yes, he spent a lot of time <laughs> at his golf courses, in whether it was in Bedminster, New Jersey, or in. Uh, uh, Florida, or even over in Scotland and other places. Yeah. Uh, he spent a lot of time at those golf courses, and that all requires a lot of security with him. Well, I think if he's going to play so much golf, he should pay for it himself. 
That's... Maybe he phases. Maybe he phases green fees. I don't know. Maybe he just charge the green fees. <laughs> Golf cart. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Let's talk about the censure portion of this because I I had some people ask me during the week. Okay, what does that mean? And you know, is it a slap on the wrist? Is there some type of a a formula they use? You get three of these and you're out. You go to detention. What what does it mean? And is it monetary? Is it you know what is it? So, Paul. Well, uh, again, like the impeachment process, and, and this is something that 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 really needs to be clarified. The censure process is political. And so is the impeachment process. So to try to say that we need to follow the legal guidelines of this as if this was housed in a court of law is is inaccurate. And so the censure is a, a political punishment that would be delivered uh, toward uh, a member of another branch of government or internally to uh, a fellow congressman. As, as uh, uh, Congressman Colby had mentioned, it, it's one of the... Uh, uh, greater punishments uh, to censure a fellow member of, of Congress. So it, it's more than a slap on the wrist. It is a political statement saying this person violated the trust that the public has put in them. But it's not like a monetary, you get a traffic ticket, you have to go pay money. It's not something like that. It's political. It's political. Yeah, there's no other punishment attached to it. Just to reinforce what Paul just said about how political this is, just think about the fact that the ones that are uh, voting on this impeach this conviction, this impeachment, the ones that are voting are senators who not only are politicians themselves, they are the judge, they are the ladies in the chair, Senator Leahy is in the chair, they are the judge, they are the jury, and they were the witnesses. They were participants in this thing. They were the ones who were fighting or scrambling for their lives when this uh, occurred. So there's no way they could be impartial in that sense of having since they have, were participants in all of this. Could he end up getting both? Could he be, well, he's not going to be um, held liable for what happened with what's going on now, but could he be censured as well? He, could he be censured? Yes, he could be censured. Do you think they'll do that? I, I don't know whether there may be an effort after this just to move on. Let's move on and, and not. But I know there are some that would like to that would like to uh, censure him and include in that censure resolution uh, a prohibition that is for running for office again. Okay, so the censure is whatever they make it to be. That's essentially correct. Okay. So do you think that going down the road, I know we've talked about this before, do you think they're going to change any of the qualification rules for holding this office? Is that directed at me? Uh, yes, because no. <laughs> no, we have talked about this. No, they're not going to change the qualifications. That would take. That would be constitutional. Right now it's that you have to be a citizen of the United States and be over, born in the United States and be over 30 years of age. You don't have to have any law degree, law degree, or other college degree. You don't have to have any, there's no requirement for any years of experience, like licensing for a cosmetologist or something like that. You don't have any of those those requirements. It's a political position. Okay. So I don't, I don't know. I think they should be putting something into place to... And that, you know, here's another question. I read that the DOD, the Department of Defense, has a plan in place in case there's a zombie attack. Don't you think they should have a plan in place in case there's a pandemic in, uh, in an election year? Because I know a lot, of, a lot of the arguments were, well, this was, you know, they changed the rules and you don't have the authority to change those rules and yada, yada, yada. Do you think they should have something in place, and that would be the states and actually the counties, put something in place, these are the rules in case of an emergency, and these are the rules when it's everything is hunky-dory? 
Paul? Well, well go ahead, go Congressman. Ahead, Paul. Yeah, no, Paul, no, you go ahead. Well, uh, to, to the best of my knowledge, from what I understand, is that President Obama, upon leaving, and his administration did have a plan in place, because there were predictions from the great Dr. Fauci uh, way back then, uh, four or five years ago, that there was going to be a pandemic, and uh, the prediction also was it was going to come from China, and, and it was it was remarkably accurate as to what happened, and then the Trump team dismantled it. And so, uh, uh, Congressman Colby, I don't know if you have any more information on that, but or if that's an accurate statement. But that, that's my understanding. It, it is accurate. It's uh, they did disband within the National Security Council, or they moved it from one place to another. So they essentially downgraded the pandemic planning. Uh, frankly, there has there wasn't a lot of planning beforehand. There hasn't been a lot of planning for this. We've known for a long time, ever since we've had SARS and MERS, the previous. Uh, epidemics. Right. We've known in pandemics. We've known that this could likely happen again. And let me tell you, it's going to happen again after this. It's of course. Not, not that this is not going to stop again. So with, let's hope that we've learned something from this. We will be better prepared for it uh, in the future. But there was no question about it. We were we were caught with our pants down, so to speak, with this. We did not have the planning in place for for it to deal with this. And it was it's evident from the fact that the United States has the most cases, the most deaths the most hospitalizations, uh, that uh, even on a per capita basis, that uh, that we were ill-equipped to handle this. Yeah, no doubt. And it sounds like things are turning around now. Have you been vaccinated? First shot. Got my first shot. I'm ready to get my second in a couple of weeks here. Yeah, they said that everybody I've talked to who's received their first shot, they say it was a breeze. But when they get their second shot for like 24 hours, they're they're feeling sick. They I've have... heard that. I've heard that particularly with the Moderna shot, which is what I've got. But that's the case. So we'll see what I got. We'll report back to you on another show whether it's <laughs> yeah. my second one. But I'll tell you what: 12 hours of having a fever and not feeling very good is is worth it, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, absolutely. Uh, to, get, to, to get this, but it was not easy to get this. I'll have to tell you that back here. It was a. Uh, it took four weeks, and being poised at 9 a.m. on Friday, when the the slots opened up for the next week, there was 1,745 appointments available, and I had everything on the computer ready. And exactly at nine o'clock, with the thing flash saying appointments available, I hit the computer and raced through the registration. And for three weeks, by the time I got to the end, in two or three minutes, it said appointments all filled. So they filled 1,745 in two or three minutes there. So it was, it's a real scramble to get the appointment. Okay, we have a caller. Uh, Richard, what's on your mind? Yes, I wanted to ask the congressman. Uh, Jim, it seems both of these political parties uh, have become, are becoming more and more extreme, uh, it appears to me. Uh, certainly Joe Biden represents, I think, probably the last, one of the last moderates in the Democratic Party, which is a good thing. But we see the Republican Party is very extreme and getting worse. Are we in some type of death spiral towards this extremism, or how can we stop this? How can we become more moderate and get back to the center? Good question. Well, you've asked, <laughs> Richard, you've asked this, the, the $64,000 question here, is, and I don't have a real answer for you. I, hope we're not, I don't think we're in a death spiral. But I think we are clearly seeing a polarization in this country, which is is reflected in the political parties. But it's not; it's it's much broader than that. It's in our society as a whole. There's much greater polarization, and there's a lot of reasons for this. I think people have, there's a lot of commentary going on about why this is the case. But certainly, you have social media, which is part of it. You have the way people get their news, the the the, the way they talk with each other, the lack of civility, uh, the general decline in, in that in, in civility in our society. There's a lot of things that are in, involved in this. But it is very worrisome, and we have every reason to be worried about that. There are, I might add, a, still a couple of moderates left in the Republican Party. I like to think that I'm one of them. But uh, there, it's it's becoming harder and harder for people on both sides uh, to to uh, have that that moderation. That's correct. I've heard that uh, Trump is starting his own party. This is. Uh, I've heard that. I don't think he will. 
I think he'll, he'll, he thinks he's got enough grip on the Republican Party, I think. And I've had somebody else tell me, you know, well, this is the new face of the Republican Party. And I say, I hope not. I vote for a lot of Republicans. So, yeah. well, I certainly hope it's not either. Yeah. So, Paul. Yeah. Uh, Congressman Colby, I'm just curious. Uh, do you think gerrymandering has uh, caused uh, a lot of the polarization, especially in the House of Representatives? You were a moderate because you were in a, one of the few uh, contested races every year in a, in a contested district, but uh, almost 400 out of the 435 seats are from either safe Republican or safe uh, Democratic districts. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. That is one of the things that I point to. I use the social media. I use the redistricting. I use the, uh, the amount of money that is required in these political campaigns, all as part of the things which has resulted in, I think, the, the breakdown of, con- of Congress's efficient effectiveness. But certainly one of them is the gerrymandering that you're talking about. It's much more sophisticated and scientific than it was when I was first elected to Congress, where we had to kind of scrape with numbers and put them out of maps and try to move them around and try to think where, where what are the districts are going to look like. And there were... When I was elected, there were over a hundred of uh, uh, what's called um, competitive districts. Today, there's less than twenty of them that are truly competitive, where it's where the incumbent is won by less than five percent or ten percent spread between the two of them. There, so it's it's less and less competitive. So that certainly does play a, a large role in all of this. But uh, the, the redistricting process is one which is left to the states, and as it should be. And, and each state has different ways of doing it. In Arizona, we have a, a, non, um, uh, a nonpartisan or bipartisan, I should say, uh, redistricting process. But you can't take the politics out of it. It's impossible to remove the politics from it yeah. because you've got a lot of other considerations in there. How much do you give to uh, geographic lines, in other words, city limits, county limits, so forth? All of these things play into this, uh, into this redistricting process. So you, it's what do you put down as the criteria for they should that they should consider? Yeah, but the other the other issue that uh, comes up is that in the competitive or the marginal districts, that's where all the money then gets uh, spent, and then it adds to the even more nastiness uh, of the negative campaigning in those districts. Absolutely, there's no question about it. That that's the money does flow into those districts that are uh, competitive. Although it seems like everybody that's running for office these days is spending an awful lot of money, and it's being spent in different ways than it was when I was in office, because social media now is the is the key thing, and you can't run a campaign without having a good person on your social media camp doing your social media. I think they should um, stop with the nasty campaigns, and you know it was it was locally here too we we saw a lot of ugliness going on and it just made you feel like i don't want to respect that person because obviously they don't respect themselves much less the people around them so why would you want to vote for that a person like that well you're right but but don't forget and and i think paul can probably talk about this we have a long history of having that negative campaigns in this country go back to some of the things that were said hundreds of years (laughs) yeah that we've done a lot of negative campaigning before. It's just that we have a much broad, uh, much more of a loud voice to be able to say it with now today with social media. Yeah, and people don't have to know who you are because of it. Exactly. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. Daylight is fading and the temperature is dropping. You're not only cold, hungry, and lost in a densely wooded area, you're injured. Time is of the essence. Sarsi is a highly trained team of dedicated volunteers who work closely with Pima County Search and Rescue to help people in critical situations just like this. To join an exclusive team of heroes, go to sarsi.org. That's S-A-R-C-I dot org. We need your knowledge, experience, and of course, your generous spirit. I'm Maya Thompson, producer for the Law Matters Live show that airs Saturday mornings at 8 when our listeners ask questions of the people who have answers. On our next show, enrolled agent Mark Barnes, the owner of Copper Canyon Tax Service, will answer your tax questions about our new laws. Check out Law Matters on iTunes, Google Play, and of course, lawmatters1030.org. We need your support. To keep the lines of communication open, go to lawmatters1030.org to be a sponsor or just simply contribute. Now get your questions ready and join our conversation at 790-2040. 
For more than 100 years, Rock Springs Cafe has served home-cooked meals and award-winning pies to superstar legends we can only read about. In fact, Rock Springs Cafe is Arizona's largest independent pie seller. So if you're planning a special event or just want a day-trip adventure, step back in time at the Rock Springs Cafe, located on historic Black Canyon Highway just about two hours north of Tucson. That's rockspringscafe.com. And tell them Law Matters sent you. To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for staying with us. Our guests today are former Congressman Jim Colby and a professor of the Constitution. Paul is here from University High School, and of course, Maya is here watching us. She's raised her hand. Um, I'm wondering, before all this happened, the Russians apparently got into some of our more secure systems. Do you know anything more about what happened with the Russia thing? It seemed to have been swept under the carpet and nobody heard anything. Well, we do know that the Russians did interfere in the uh, in the election in 2016. Uh, there's no, no doubt about that. They interfered in a way that they were trying to... It was disinformation. I, there's no evidence that they significantly, uh, or in any way, for, for that matter... It got into the election systems, that is, the the actual hardware or software for our elections, and and changed votes. But they were engaged in a in a massive disinformation campaign during in 2016. We were all prepared for that this time, and we kept our we had our eye on it. There was, seems to be less of it this time from Russia, and there seems to be an increase in this coming from other places, Iran. And China, China, it's not clear yet whether where who they were favoring in this election, but there's no question about it that both the Iran and China were engaged in some disinformation campaigns, as well as Russia again. But I think we were more prepared for it from Russia in this campaign. Well, I had heard um, about a month or two ago that uh, the Russians had gotten into like the Department of Defense security. Well, he- Yes, yeah, so that's absolutely true. They they hacked into that's in the last couple of months. That's correct. They a very serious breach of our security, uh, cybersecurity there. Probably the worst in our history, and we still don't know the extent of it. Uh, how many agencies? But over a hundred federal agencies were hacked into, and we don't know what information they've taken from that, what they have access to, uh, and but it certainly shows that we're. We're behind in our efforts to provide a cybersecurity. It's one of the fastest growing areas of concern in government and, and in dealing with this, but we're still not there yet for sure. As this, as this hack indicates, it was very serious, and we still, as I say, don't know the extent of it. So what if they find out that somebody in the administration or who held office, you know, state office, was responsible for enabling this. I, I just can't imagine, you know, they, they were that successful on their own. Well, I'm, I'm not a cyber expert, so I don't know whether they would have had to have somebody in the United States that was doing that. My understanding is they can do this from, through by very skillful means of, of cracking into the systems and, and, and getting this information out and leading from one to the next uh, federal agency that, it, that the, the systems are all kind of interlocked, interrelated. But I don't, uh, I'm not an expert, so I really can't say for sure whether, I have not heard anything about somebody in the United States being responsible for, uh, for doing that. It's not exactly like opening the jail door that you, somebody on this side has to, has to open it for them. Like they an have, Edward Snowden? Yeah, that, that, that one, that was a little different there. There he was in, it, in actually copying documents, getting documents, and turning them over to them. In this case, 
they were like the picking the lock. They were picking the lock from the other side and with the, their cyber attacks on us, and they were successful in uh, getting into that. Uh, but it's it's a bit different, I think, than the Snowden case. I'm going to have, um, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have uh, Edward Snowden's supervisor on the show huh. from the NSA to talk That'll about what really happened because I'd, I'd watched the the um, documentary and there was a movie Right. And I asked him, how, you know, how much of this is true? So we're going to find out how much of that was true. <laughs> It'll be interesting. Yeah. He, he was an interesting man. He had a lot to say. So, Absolutely. What do you think the GOP should do moving forward if they want to cleanse themselves of all this nastiness? Well. Because we don't have a McCain anymore. You're gone. Well, all the good guys are gone. Not all. As I said, we still have a few. And I think in this in this last couple of months, Senator Romney has certainly vindicated himself and shown himself to be a star of this against the substantial odds, coming considering the state that he comes from. Uh, but and there are a few. There are some others. Uh, Congressman Kinzinger from Illinois stood up very strongly on this. What does a party have to do? I think that. Party has to decide what it's what it wants its future to be. Does it want its future to be a an acolyte for Trump? In other words, be a a, a, a Trump cult, or do we want to have a party that stands for the basic principles that the Republican Party that I know has always stood for, which is principles of limited government, of balancing budgets, of of keeping deficits as low as possible, of opening markets and and trade, of having a, a, a common sense and same uh, immigration policy, uh, uh, believing in national security and promoting democracy and freedom around the world. These are some of the basic principles that I think the Republican Party has stood for. We're going to have to decide whether that's what we really want to stand for again or not. Otherwise, maybe we it's time to look for another uh, political party. That's that was something a comment that somebody made to me that watching what was going on this week and anticipating what the vote will be, they're saying these representatives are ignoring their oath, they're ignoring disrespecting their office and disrespecting the Constitution by their behavior. How do you feel about that? I think clearly they he has committed impeachable offenses. He's committed not just this impeachable offense that they're of inciting the riot that they're that they are trying him on, but he's had numerous others during the course of his four years that he was in. Yeah, in every office. day he did something. You know, I actually <laughs> would have preferred that the House managers had an impeachment uh, charge that was more focused on what he did to try to upset the election, because I think that is the real constitutional threat that he yes. posed to this country. and But they didn't focus as much on that as they did on the inciting the riot. And there they, they got a tough case to make because there's several cases in the Supreme Court, most notably Brandenburg versus Ohio, uh, which says it's, you can't just talk about it inciting a riot. You have to, have to do something. You have to have a physical act of it there. And so it's it's a tough case for them to show that he actually led these people uh, to do that, whereas there's no question that he tried with this call, for example, to to the Georgia election officials. He, there was no question that he tried to overturn the election of uh, the constitutional provisions of of this election. So I think uh, that would have been. A, I would like to have seen them put more emphasis on that charge. Are they allowed to list a bunch of charges or? Are yeah, they only they allowed have. one? Because when I read that, you know, what they were doing, I thought, well, what about, you know, Georgia? What well, they, about <laughs> inviting they, Russia when in 2016? And They did in, in, the, in the last impeachment trial. They had more than one charge. Yes, you can have more than one. You can try them on several of them, but they wanted to really focus on this one. And I just think that they had a better argument constitutionally of the one of his trying to disrupt the legal election yeah i think um but i think they missed the mark on that what paul has to say about that well uh the the question then comes up uh, is the uh, the 
in terms of distinguishing this between a political trial and one that is legal. And uh, in a political trial, uh, yes, probably it would have been more prudent for the House to have passed a second article of impeachment uh, saying that uh, Trump violated the presidential oath to uphold, protect, defend the Constitution, which could take into account the, the tampering with the elections and the constant constant attack on uh, the electoral process. Uh, but uh, a number of scholars have said that they could incorporate in a political trial that into the uh, one article of impeachment. Uh, with regard to the the so-called Brandenburg test, which is essentially the modern clear and present danger test, uh, their argument is, is that uh, that's a legal proceeding that may or may not be effectively used in a, a political proceeding, and that possible uh, charges could be brought up by uh, the FBI or the D.C. police saying that uh, uh, President Trump uh, may have violated the Brandenburg test where he, he advocated over a long period of time. The specific intent, which is the second part of the test, could be uh, the, the speech that's given on January 6th, a date not chosen at random. It was the date that the... Um, that the uh, Electoral College uh, vote was to be certified. Uh, the close proximity to where the evil, as uh, Justice Holmes originally said, uh, would take place. It was just down the street uh, from the Capitol and likelihood for success. It's obvious that there was a, a situation where uh, <laughs> it was a pretty close call for a lot of the congressmen and senators when uh, uh, the Trump supporters uh, broke into uh, the Capitol building. And so uh, the, the, there's a chance that there could be legal proceedings because my understanding is that the FBI is investigating and uh, talking to people uh, that uh, were involved more than just the individuals they're arresting for breaking in, but also the people that were with President Trump during the entire crisis and tried to determine what his mindset and what did the president know and when did he know it? <laughs> to paraphrase Senator Baker's famous statement from uh, the Watergate days. Well, that's very well, very well stated, and it, what it shows is that this is, you demonstrated, I think, quite clearly, that this is a political process that, that's involved in the impeachment, and that it's somewhat different than a legal proceeding, as I pointed out earlier about the fact that the senators who were participants in all of this are the jurors in this. So it is a political process, and you're right that he could have uh, criminal charges against him dealing with the incitement to the riot, and also we know that the Georgia is looking into the, the tampering with the election. Uh, so he's got those possible charges that could be against him as, as well, and those would be criminal charges, but it is a political process. There's, um, there's, there's no doubt about that. They clashed on that yesterday on the floor a bit when the question was asked by one of the senators as they submitted these questions, most of them pretty softball questions to one side or the other, but do they have to follow due process? And uh, the defense said, absolutely, they have to follow complete due process. Well, the Constitution isn't clear on that when the impeachment process. It says whatever the Senate decides. However, they don't want to write the rules for it. So it's not exactly the same as it is in a court of law. Yeah, I'm... I'm realizing that they set the rules they they do their own thing and it's entirely up to them and then you have somebody like lindsey graham and one day he's saying i'm i don't count on me i'm out of it and the next day he's golfing with with trump so mm -hmm. what happened with him what's the matter with lindsey graham uh, well i don't know <laughs> i think i think i think my dear friend john mccain would be very disappointed in him oh today. i i might might be i said it last week i said i'm sure my both my parents were in the Marine Corps during World War II. I said, I bet all these people are flipping in their graves. We have a well, caller on the phone. Bruce, what's on your sure. mind? Hi there. I uh, just want to get a clarification from, I believe it's Congressman Colby that said that there was precedent for a, a, an impeachment for somebody that's already out of office. Mm -hmm. Yes. That was, a, what, the Secretary of War or something? Secretary of War in 1876, yes. He right. he had re he, they had started the, they had started they had start, done the impeachment as in this case the impeachment was done while he was still in office and when the trial started he resigned and but the Senate said no we can still go ahead even though he's out of office now we can still go ahead and have this trial they did they acquitted him yeah relatively short years after the Civil War and uh, you know my comment is you know there's a lot of uh, 
there's a lot of rage against the former President Trump, but to uh, liken uh, the, the rage after the Civil War to what's going on now, I don't, I don't see it. But anyway, thanks for the show. Well, yeah, well, thank you. thanks for your comment there. I appreciate it. And we have another caller. Rick, what's on your mind? Hi, I just heard, I, I didn't hear uh, exactly what you were talking about the first part. I just heard something about uh, making statements there in Washington out in public, um, threatening, um, calling for violence or retribution. So I assume you're talking about Chuck Schumer. Is, is that correct? When he was in front of the Supreme Court and they were in session, uh, threatening, making threats, or were you talking about Kamala Harris, uh, who was uh, supporting the violence in Portland and Washington? And um, I believe uh, offering to pay for bail. Is that who you're talking about? I, I didn't catch the first part. Oh, no, we, did we were not talking about that. <laughs> we were talking about the president of the United States. But those, they made some comments that the defense brought up yesterday, said similar kinds of things. Uh, the prosecution has tried to say that's quite different than what, what uh, Trump did. But there's no doubt, and there's no doubt that Schumer, for example, his statements in front of the Supreme Court were very ill-founded and very inappropriate. Uh, he didn't thereby, they didn't thereby rush the Supreme Court. They didn't run in. They didn't try to do any harm after that. But his statements were, I think, very inappropriate. Did he hang up? Understanding the time frame is that the, the Capitol was, ru- or the, yeah, the Capitol was rushed before Trump. Uh, Trump was done speaking. And even before Trump, uh, so, and the, the, due to the distance, there was no way that uh, this could have actually resulted from the, tr- the speech that Trump gave. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't well, think that's his, accurate. Yeah, many of his people, some of them were already up there at the Capitol while he was speaking, but then he said, let's go march up to Pennsylvania and thousands more did go in that direction. As we heard in the tapes and we heard them on the uh, on and in the video that was shown we heard them saying i'm coming because trump told us we were invited by trump we're doing this because trump wants us to do this so they that is the the argument on the prosecution side uh, that he uh, was indeed responsible for this so rick why did trump said he was going to march with them why why wasn't he there well, I suppose there's all kind of security uh, security concerns with the Secret Service about you know walking in public. Yeah. So it might have gone back to that the, he got a no for the security. Now he, he can he is the commander in chief, but when it comes to security, he can't just he can't just go anywhere at any time without any kind of. Um, it, typically, they want to do an advance. I have some uh, background in security, so uh, you have to in some areas you, you can't just walk out. You have to do an advance and make sure the area is secured. But I, I don't know why Trump didn't, why he didn't head yeah. over there. Yeah, you, you, I, I don't know why he didn't either. You're absolutely right in that, that uh, he would have, he could, would have had to leave his security to do that, and they weren't going to let him do that. But I don't think he ever really intended, actually, to go up there himself to the Hill. I think it was inspiring them to do that, 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 it was, that he was involved with. Yeah. That's my view, you know. One of the one of the many inaccuracies, and he just said something about Camilla Harris offered to pay bail to the people in Portland. Is this one of those QAnon things, Maya? Did no. you read something about that? Um, I, I think there she perhaps um, during the riots may have offered support um, or you know to help people get out of jail who had been arrested during the riots, but. Um, I, I'm not really sure about those comments. They might have been taken or out of context, or that might have been genuinely what she said. Um, but I think the the connotation is different, and I think you know, obviously, those people did not later um, storm our nation's capital. So yeah, the, 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 I think you're right. The connotation is different. Yeah, you have to take the comments in context, but uh, in many ways by bringing up uh, what uh, Senator Schumer had said and what some of the other uh, Democratic politicians had said is in a way deflecting the issue away from what the issues really at, the issue at hand is. What did President Trump do? What did he uh, know and when did he know it? 
and by deflecting it over to saying, well, in the past, Democratic people have said this, that, or the other thing, the the problem is, is that there was no riot that resulted. There was no attack on the Supreme Court that took place. There, there was no violence that resulted from their comments. And so, therefore, uh, therefore, in some ways, that I, I consider that an inappropriate deflection away from the true issue of what did President Trump do and did he incite the riot? And, you know, you used a uh, term, he's a cult, he's got this cult following, and it just reminds me of Jim Jones, and it reminds me of David Koresh. Uh, they had uh, the small group of people who wanted to follow them, and you know what happened with all those people. Yep. Drinking the Kool-Aid, as they say. Right. Drinking the Kool-Aid. It's too bad. Do you know, um, Antifa, I know we're we're getting short on time. We only have five minutes left. Um, this QAnon and Antifa, do you, in Washington, what is the sentiment on what's going on with these organizations? Well, they're, two dis- they're quite different there. QAnon yes. is really um, is, is something that's on the Internet, and it's just information that's misinformation that's being bandied about. What, what's astonishing to me is that intelligent people that have education could possibly listen to those things and actually believe that stuff. It just, it's so bizarre. It's so out of line. And then you actually have a member of Congress saying, repeating some of that thing, like, like the fires in California were from a laser beam from space controlled by Jewish groups, uh, world, world groups. Those kinds of things are just so bizarre and so out of the line with any kind of retouch, out of touch with reality. Yeah. It's hard to understand how people believe that. The Antifa thing is is much more amorphous than that. It's hard. Who's what is Antifa and who is actually behind it? Who belongs to it? It's kind of anybody that's on the other side. Kind of is is Antifa. Yeah, you know, the the issue with Antifa has been, you know, the president has kind of used it um, as this group and pushed it to the front during the riots. But Antifa is an ideology. It stands for anti-fascist. So, right. you know, everyone could be Antifa if you know you didn't support fascists. Um, and, you know, the president has um, made a lot of bad comments. You know, we all learn when we're little that actions have consequences and that, you know, the things that you say, you know, have consequences as well. And I think it's time that, you know, he, he learned that. When you say the president, are you referring to Biden or Trump? Oh, the ex-president. That's nice to say. (laughs) That's a like night and day situation right there. And I think, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the Institute that you're with. We only have two minutes left um, that I think should be mandatory for everybody to go to. Congressman? I'm sorry, the Institute... Of Civil Discourse. The Institute for Civil Discourse. Well, it was formed there at the University of Arizona. I hope you get them on your show. You should have them on there to talk about it. Well, help me do that. It it was... We can can do that, I'm sure. But it it was formed in the wake of the shooting of Gabby Giffords, and the idea was to bring back civil discourse to our political discussion. And, and that's what we focus on, is trying to get legislators and citizens together to have common discussions about issues like we're having here today. Exactly. Uh, on this show, uh, to discuss some of these issues and, and to have differences of opinion. They've been civil, and we've been polite to each other. And I think that's the only way you can actually thrash out some of these ideas and come to a consensus about what we should be doing to solve some of the major problems that face our country today. Have a roundtable. Break some bread. Talk. Break some bread. And and not have a food fight. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Okay. I want to remind everybody towards the end of the month, we are going to be hosting a online auction. We've got some amazing items to auction off. And please go to our website and sign the petition for the trooper who was killed, senselessly killed by a drunk driver. And... Maya, do you have anything? Nope. you have anything, Paul? No, thank you very much for having me on the show again. I appreciate it. Congressman, thank you for coming on the show. I'm glad you're okay. Stay warm over there 
and prepare for that second shot. Oh, absolutely. It was a pleasure being with you and a, a pleasure being with Paul, who's very knowledgeable and, and very articulate on these topics. Thanks very much.